1: Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove here alongside Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes. This is our usual Monday show, but for uh, reasons uh, we are now, we're we're doing it here on the Thursday. We will be back on Monday next week, and from there on in, it will be a typical Monday show. But as luck has happened, Aaron, we are here on the day that the fixtures have been released for Newcastle United and, of course, the rest of the Premier League for the 2022-23 season. If you guys tune in and want some transfer updates, we will, of course, bring you that as well later in the show. But we'll kick off with the fixtures and Newcastle will start at home to Nottingham Forest. Um, I did say to you I had a dream that that was the actual fixture. I woke up this morning, this is legitimate, I woke up this morning thinking that Newcastle were going to get Nottingham Forest. I can't tell you why but that's what I did actually have a dream about Um, so I'll take credit for that. I'm excited for that fixture. I think it's going to be a really good atmosphere, I think being at home. The first game of the season is going to be a, a big occasion, especially with the trance window. We wait to see Newcastle sign, but I just think the way the season ended against Arsenal, you know, everybody wants to be at St James's Park. There's going to be a buzz. War flags are already asking people what they want as the first display of the season. I think it's a really good fixture for Newcastle to uh, start the season with.
0: Yeah, I think you'd say it's probably the ideal fixture, to be honest. Like you say, the end of the season, that so positively on that high against Arsenal at home... You know, people were itching to get back, and you know what fixture could you have wanted than Forrest making their you know long-awaited return to the Premier League. They're going to be up for it. St James's Park's going to be up for it. I'm really looking forward to it, and I think you know we waited 14 games last year for a win. Um, as Lee Ryder touched on this morning, I think they've got a very good chance of opening their account early doors this season with that game at home, or if not, you know, at Brighton or Wolves later in that in the month.
1: It's going to be interesting. Jack Hallback potentially returning to St James's Park as well. We know. He's a man that divided opinion while he was here. So there's a bit of a uh, more context into that. Interesting team of Forest. I mean, where they were uh, to where, the, where they've, they've come to, you know, with the promotion. I mean, they were near the bottom of the championship, if not bottom, when the manager took over. He's done a fantastic job, and it's a great story. I mean, we've got Newcastle United legend Frank Clark, of course, a legend of both Newcastle and Forest. I'm sure he'll be looking forward to, to that game, no doubt, end up coming up to St. James Park to see it. Um, and what the other good thing is, as well, at the moment it's a traditional 3pm kickoff. And I know that means that a lot of people have to follow it on the radio or hopefully through our live blog, but I, I am a big fan of the traditional 3pm kickoff.
0: Yeah, look, it's the weekend, everyone's off. You've got that time to go out and get some food and drink before the game, and then 3 o'clock, I was just about to say, under the lights there, it's not under the lights, but 3 o'clock on a Saturday. Um, and yeah, as we said, hopefully getting off to a good start. Two you know, massive historic clubs and. You know, a lot of people I've seen this morning, are, you know, they sort of bemoan fixture day and they say, "Well, why does it matter? You play everyone twice." But you know, I still get that buzz, and I think after you know seeing the fixtures come out today, I'm, I'm more excited for the season than I maybe was yesterday. Mm-hmm.
1: I think I think there is a, an element of excitement, but I am in the boat of the people you mentioned there. You know, I, I like to I like when the fixtures come out because you know the season's not too far away. But for people who worry about. You know tough a tough run of games and then they look at the games before that and say oh, we have to win this game that game because the games afterwards are, are tough and where the points are going to come from you play everybody twice i'm not a fan of pointing out big dates or big games for everyone because i feel they're become big games or big dates for people when in the context of the season do you know what i mean like so if you need a win that game suddenly becomes a big game but we're sitting here right now in the pre-season you know Whoever in November, it's not a big game because we don't know when Newcastle are going to be. Yeah. Maybe I'm just uh, cynical. Cynical, eh? <laughs> but uh, of course, you know, you're always excited for the fixture re- re- release car- uh, fixtures coming out and seeing who were who are playing. To shame, I, I I think that, you know, unfortunately, we're not playing Sunland. Um, uh, I, I, there was a bit of a debate, wasn't there, on social media about Newcastle versus Sunland. It'll be interesting to know your guys' comments. Actually, popping in the comments. Um, do you miss Newcastle versus Sunland? Suppose while we're on that subject, Aaron, do you miss the game?
0: Not really, no. Someone asked me this the other day, you know, do you want the Derbys back? And if I'm honest, no. And I feel like I'm still so scored from that, you know, six or seven year period we had where I would wake up and I would dread them, you know, and then we'd go watch the game and it would just be another defeat. And I just used to think, I don't think I'm ready again to be hurt. And I know, look, it's different this time around. You know, Sunderland have had so many years in the doldrums, and Newcastle obviously, you know, the richest club in the world and all that but I would still be you know really really full of fear on that morning um, but I mean look you never know next season should they have a good season the championship might it might be a reality but I'm happy for them to have another couple of years in the championship I think
1: see, I'd, I'd love them I'd love the derby back and I get what everyone says the fear and the, the trepidation of it all and it's a horrible build up and of course if you lose it's a horrible week but there's just something about it it's that buzz you can't really describe can you and I, you know, yes, when you lose, it does hurt. But I, I, I think I've, I've, they've been down there long enough, and I would welcome them back in the Premier League or at least, I um, mean, you know, a cup game to, to get the taste of that, that derby again.
0: But it's weird because it is literally a fifty-fifty split, yeah. and I saw this debate on Twitter the other day and you had, it wasn't as if everyone was saying, you know, oh, I really want it because there's nothing like a derby game. There's a lot of people in my boat that, are, like I say, is still scarred from that sort of period under the canyon and Poyet and. Um, you know a decade ago so it's interesting to see that literally fans can't decide and they can't make their mind up as to what they want but yeah it's interesting
1: and Daniel Duffy there says it would be nice to get Sunderland in the cup I mean for me I know we're going off on a bit of a tangent here but um, I, do you know what part of me wishes it to be like, like Manchester City Manchester United were a few years but you know when Man City won the, won the league on the final day of the season mm-hmm. and they beat Manchester United to it could you imagine like you haven't just won the Premier League you've beaten your your, your nearest rivals to it as well mm. and I get the flip side of that is if you're Manchester United in that situation you're like oh we've not only really lost the Premier League we've lost to our local rivals but just that you know you're not just trying to be the best in your region you know you're trying to be the best in the country and it would for me I guess I'm going to be in the minority here I'm sure there'll be plenty of comments coming through I would love to see both teams battling at the top of the Premier League
0: I, I think you're probably in the minority there I don't think a lot of fans will agree with that there I think they'd prefer anything than to see Sunderland even second in the table, never mind challenging for Newcastle for the title. So, yeah, I, d- I don't think I can agree on that one, to be
1: fair. <laughs> I thought that might be your response. But back to the fixtures, um, as much as uh, you know, I do detest looking through them and going, oh, here's the, the, the top nine dates and what have you, we have picked out a few, haven't we? Because there are a few uh, points in the season, I think, given what happened last season, where you can look at and say, well, how far have Newcastle come? What were be doing? this point of, of last season so um, do you want to just discuss a few of the things that we, we, we've picked out
0: yeah I think look you look at that August and Forest it will be a fantastic date St and James's but you know the big eye-catching games and that sort of first five are Liverpool away and City at home and you know we were joking this morning in the office that it's oh look how far Newcastle have came and you know can they really stick at a City and Liverpool this season if they have a big summer I still don't think they're going to get anywhere any of those two next season um, we've seen this season just gone the level that they are. Um, they're streets ahead of even the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal. So Newcastle have got a big job catching up with them. But that'll be a good sort of barometer as to where they are in August, those two games. September looks, you know, on paper. I mean, obviously, we said this last season at the start, and we all know how that went. But September, you look at Palace at home, West Ham away, Bournemouth at home, winnable games, Obviously, you know, this season's going to be different with the World Cup in November and December, so you've only really got four games across that period. But, I mean, Leeds, New Year's Eve, what a, what a game that'll be. The City will be absolutely, you know, electric for that one. And then you look really, you know, you're sort of looking at the running in the last four games. Obviously, we don't know where Newcastle are going to be. You'd like to think they're not going to be in any danger this time around. But Arsenal at home and Leicester at home, Leeds away and Chelsea away. It's quite a t- it's tricky running that. So you know, let's just say, fingers crossed. Newcastle are sort of in the hunt for a top six place or top seven place going into May. You know, you're going to be battling Chelsea and Arsenal, who are going to be up there as well. So it's a it's a tricky end to the season. I think that is.
1: Mm, I mean, looking, you know, I we we said off camera that maybe the, the tenth game is one to look out for because that's often the. The, the where the managers the will say you know, play, judge yeah. me after 10 games certain yeah. managers used to say but I think after round about 10-11 games you will get the sense of you know the players who performed well towards the end of last season are they still at that level so the likes of Joe Linton who we will assume will be you know starting at the start of the season in that midfield position you know but will he continue in the, in the same vein that he, that he finished the season I hope so I think he will do but we'll get a nice sense of where things are I know is Callum Wilson going to be fit at that stage is Dan Byrne going to be at the level of maybe pushing for an England call up it, I think after 10-11 games you, you do start to get a sense of where things lie for, 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 for players in, in terms of form
0: Yeah definitely I mean if you just look at those first 10 fixtures in those games Brighton, Wolves, Palace West Ham, Bournemouth Fulham, Brentford all games where, on paper, you think, right, we've got a chance there. If we have a sort of similar start of the season as we did last year, and teams that are easily beatable and we're throwing away you know, points, we're dropping two here and three there. Like you say, we're getting 10 games in, and we're thinking, right, maybe we need to scale back the, the optimism that we've had pre-season. Everyone's thinking, oh, look, it would be great again at Europe. Maybe we need to sort of, you know, rein it in a bit. Likewise, or sorry, on the flip side... They've won seven of their first ten games. We're thinking, right? Okay, this is we're cooking now. Do you
1: know what I mean? You know, it's it's a fine balance. and I mean, you mentioned there potentially Newcastle when you get to those last run of fixtures in May might be in the hunt for a top six place. For me, I think I'd be happy with them breaking into the top ten. I think anything else is a bonus because we've got we've got to remember they're still at this building stage. You know. We've seen with the transfers, and we'll get onto the window shortly. That it's not all going their own way. I think many people expected that to be so. They might have a bit more cash than other other people in the transfer window, but they're not. You know, it, it's been on social media. There is a Newcastle United tax. It is a real thing. So you don't know how who they're going to get in. It's not all going to go to plan. And of course, you know, football is one of those things you can never predict. You, I mean, you look at the the opening run of fixtures, and you would say on paper, Forest is is winnable. Brighton's winnable. Uh, Wolves, you'd think, you know, again is probably a winnable game. Palace and Bournemouth, but then you, you just you never know, do you? You just don't know. These teams could turn up. Man City could have a bad start to the, to the season. and Newcastle could end up beating them. So it's it's a, it's a bit of a lottery. Mm-hmm. Um, and but for me, I think Newcastle aiming to get into that top ten is is a realistic uh, ambition. And whatever happens, if they get get above that, get a good cup run in, that'll be uh, a bonus. But I mean. For me, there's a couple of other games I think will be important to look out for. Aston Villa and Everton in October. So, Oct- uh, Oc- Everton on the 19th of October and Aston Villa on the 29th. I think they'll be interesting games because, you know, you can see, you look at Manchester City, you look at Liverpool, Man United, Spurs, and you go, that's, certain people will go, oh, well, that's how far, let's see how far Newcastle have come. Let's see how they do against these sides. But we've got to be realistic. They are well behind these sides, and they're going to be for the next two, three years until everything clicks into place. But really, and more Aston Villa than Everton, because I, th- I do think Everton will struggle next season. But I think Aston Villa are on their level. Never another side, you know. They've already started the, the window really well. The Aston Villa will be a team. That I think Newcastle will be battling to try and break into that top ten, that top eight, and that for me, that Aston Villa game in October is probably. The, the barometer of how far Newcastle United have come.
0: Yeah I would agree because when you look at them on paper the two squads are going to be similar as you've touched on there Aston Villa have probably had the start of the summer window that Newcastle fans wanted you know for their own club you know, they've, you know they're out the traps quickly they've got some good signings in you know as being mentioned Diego Carlos who was a you know long term target in January um, and you know just weirdly enough it happens to be the 14th fixture this season and we all know Newcastle obviously didn't win any of their 14 games next, last year, so it'll be interesting by the time that Villa game comes around to see one, how they have done compared to last season don't think they would do much worse but also, where the two clubs are has Villa's transfer strategy paid off you know, is Gerard sort of struggling so yeah, I think that and also, I mean, that Villa game the 14th fixture, that's right before the World Cup, so you know, I think the barometer needs to be the 10th game, the 14th game. And when we're going at that World Cup and we've got a two-month break, Newcastle really need to be sort of around that top-half mark. You know, they, they need to be sort of already clear of the relegation zone by then um, so that they can sort of kick on for the for the second half of the season. Do
1: you think, even though, so, you know, they, they come through, survived, and we've said previously, there's a clean slate going this summer. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's easier to sell the club to potential players who may come like Botman like a techie but given the attention on the club the ambition of the owners do you look at these fixtures and, and say well you know if the season starts like it did last season under Steve Bruce and to a degree Eddie Howe's reign as well because he didn't get off to the best of starts
0: is Eddie Howe suddenly find himself under pressure? I think it depends on the manner of the performances you know if Newcastle are battling and going down and picking up the odd result here and there Is he going to be awarded more time? He's got a lot of credit in the bank. One with the players, one with the media and with the fans as well. And the owners love him. So, look, these owners have got great ambitions for the club. I've got no doubt that in a couple of years we might be sitting here with like a Pochettino or a Mourinho or someone of that real stature at the club. But I think from what we've seen so far, I think we'll give him time. Don't think there's any pressure on him this this coming season to you know say right we want European football if we don't get it you're out. This season, as you've said, is a building block. It's trying to make that sort of bridge the gap between 14th and 15th to sort of the top six. Um, so look, I don't think it'd be under as much press as Bruce because, as I said, he, he's well liked. He's done well so far. But it'd be interesting to see the fan reaction if we get the 14th game and we're 17th. Fads can very quickly turn, and all that credit sort of goes. So it's interesting, but I, I, I think Eddie will be quite relaxed about his own future.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the club won't be run and the same decisions won't be made as we've seen at other clubs where takeovers have happened, where there's, there's big pressure. I, I don't know, I mean, this is just my gut instinct, but I just get the feeling things are going to be run a little bit differently, you know, and I think Eddie how the first bad run, um, you know, he'll be given a chance. But I, all, I also think that it you know, any bad run won't be as bad as we've seen previously under the likes of Steve Bruce or Steve McLaren You know, because I I, I think he's a talented manager and I think he has got a big future ahead of him. I know, you know, people all may be down the line expecting a Mourinho or Pochettino, but you know, if he does well, and the man of Stavely's alluded to this, there's no reason why he can't be here in in many years to come.
0: Yeah, she said, you know, to be the next Fergie, I, I doubt he'll do 26 or 27 years. But I agree with your point. I think it's going to be ran differently than it it was under Ashley. Um, Especially if, I know this probably wasn't your point, but I think if they are languishing around the relegation zone, the owners will act. It wasn't like Ashley with McLaren and Bruce, where he kept them hanging on at times, you felt like, despite the fan base. And also, what I think is interesting is Dan Ashworth um, coming in. You know, he's spoken in the past about the identity they had at Brighton, and he said that you can't chop and change managers every six months because what we want to do here is at Brighton it was we want to bring players in that Graham Potter wants and that the chairman wants in that role pulling in the same direction if we're chopping and changing managers all this you know for example if Howe goes and they get Potter for example you know he hate it's not his players you know it's not his team he hasn't chosen it and I think Ashworth wants that real cohesive feel between the manager the squad himself and the owners
1: well you've only got to look at Watford or Everton the show that constantly chopping and changing managers doesn't Get work you, and you mentioned Brighton there you know Potter has had some bad runs of uh, form and obviously this season ended quite well but even this I mean the, the, sorry the previous season you know there were some bad runner games in there but they stuck by him and I think that's a really interesting point you made there there's some really good comments actually going on in the chat we are live on Facebook as well and there was one just earlier about uh, the fitness and we've seen Alan St Maxman training on the beach uh, while he's on holiday we've seen Joe Willick running well I, well, I think it might be America, um, early morning jogging, you know, and then he's in the gym. And, you know, this is nothing new. The players, you know, if, the, the Instagram stories last season of, of players doing this, but there's an added incentive isn't something this time around. You know, players want to be part of, of this journey and they know, especially the likes of Joe Willick as well, where the midfield is very oversubscribed in that position that they have to be at the top of their game and that's not just form, that's, that's fitness as well.
0: Yeah, look, it was so well-documented last year that the players weren't fit enough, the pre-season training wasn't right. Um, and I mean, it's no way for any club to run alone a Premier League. Now, our colleague, Ewan Kelly, did a very good article the other week where he, he sort of explained Eddie Howe's part and gift to the team after Burnley. And he basically said that as soon as that full-time whistle went at Burnley and the season was done... Eddie Howe was giving them their training preparations for the summer and saying, this is the fitness plan you need to stick to before pre-season so that we're not playing catch-up. You just have to look at the level of fixtures that they've already got planned. Benfica, Atlanta, Bilbao, top-class opposition. So I think Howe and the players are going to have this mindset of going into pre-season and treating it as if it's the start of the season so that by the time that first game comes on against Forest, they're ready, You know, they've already, they're already drilled, You know, they're already as fit as they need to be. Um, to make sure that we don't have a repeat of last season.
1: Hmm. Because you saw it took how time to get the players up to his level of standard and fitness that he likes in his, in his, in his teams. And we've spoken about previously, Callum Wilson's comments about Newcastle not being you know ready for the new season. So, you, you know, you are right there about the catch-up. And, it, you know, it's it's such a basic thing, and yet it's such an important thing. And it's refreshing to see anyhow, you know, doing that to the players. And the players getting on board as well. Because one thing, you know... You can go on holiday and you could maybe run one every two days or do a light little jog, but you know it seems the players are really buying into this when they could be forgiven for just you know putting their feet up for a little while.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think it goes back to what you've just said. You know, players that are maybe on the fringes of the team know that they have to be at their best this season, um, or they're going to be out the door as that sort of you know new level of players comes in. You know, Isaac Hayden, as you know, I spoke to him last week about his exit, and he said that we've been having discussions in the squad that. You know this club is going to bring in better players, which is brilliant for the club. But we know that you know we are, we've only got a short lifespan in this squad at the minute, so we need to make the most of it. And I think that's what the players will be thinking. We've seen St. Maximum this week on his holidays running. You know it's a big season for him, and I think he he knows it as well. Um, that it could be make or break. So it's good to see that you know there's been this culture shift. Um, from when House came in, and it can only be a positive going into the start of the season. One
1: hundred percent, and I mean we'll stick with that. Isaac Hayden exclusive. You spoke to him. What was twenty four hours after he left Newcastle United to to join Norwich on loan. You know it is a loan deal, but there are certain criteria that, if met, it will turn into a, a permanent deal. We 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 don't know what they are, but we think you know they'll be re- the bar will be set relatively low. Um, just tell our listeners what was he like to speak to.
0: Yeah, absolutely spot on. I mean everybody knows his character and the type of person he is, and. I actually said this to him when I was interviewing. Him, I said I've supported Newcastle United all my life, and I've never seen a player get that type of reception when he left. Every single comment you saw on social media was positive, and you know there's very few that can leave, and every single fan is saying the same thing.
1: And especially from where he came from yeah. as well, because it. Let's not forget that game against Cardiff when he got sent off. And he you know, was like, he'd made it clear he it. wanted to leave. He yeah. made it clear that in the January after he wanted to leave. Um, obviously, he'd had some. Uh, there were some things going off the, happening off the pitch. Um, but he bounced back. Yeah, he I
0: did, yeah. Just, I mean, you're a tremendous professional. Yeah, tremendous. And I mean, I, I asked him about it, about 2019 and how you know he really wanted to go, and he said that there was a lot of factors. One, which really stood out to me, he was like, you know, Benitez was a big factor. I thought Benitez was going, so I wanted to go. He was like a father figure to me, but he eventually said that, you know, the club priced him out of the a deal. They were asking for far too much, and he had, you know, very good Premier League offers. He was going to be close at home. Um, which he felt he wanted to go and the club were basically just you know they had a price tag on his head that no club really wanted to pay but um, yeah he said look he, he he was being very very thankful for the fans for their support he said that he's had some fantastic memories you know he feels like him and his daughter are going to be sort of honorary geordies for the rest of their lives um, but he said also that it, football's all about time and it felt like the right time for him to go and um, Norwich was an easy deal to make, you know. He knows the sporting director Stuart Webber. He's been at the facilities before. He said it was a no-brainer, um, and he just said the timing felt right. And he, and he and he did say he said I was really struck by this because it goes to show what type of man he is. He said the way I see it, and other players might say it differently, but the way I see it is where you know if I can comp- contribute to this team and leave it in a better place than I came, and I've done it. Then I've done my job. And he was like, I arrived in the championship and I'm leaving and we're an established Premier League club. And I just thought, you know, that was really good. You know, you can tell he's, he's an. we say it all the time, but he's an honest player. You know, he really, really cared about this football club. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it really does mean the world when that fans have, you know, have seen that. Because it's, it's a brave move in, in many ways
1: to drop down. A level into the championship and he is very experienced there but it's a, it's, it's a very tough league especially if you come back from a, an injury as well but also you know certain players you know and i'm not saying this is the, is the case in newcastle necessarily but certain players might just sit there and and take the paycheck they know they're not going to get into the first team let alone maybe the first team squad um but they're happy to still be part of that journey and that might be because they want to experience it and they want to say look i was part of that that Newcastle squad that got to Wembley and won an FA Cup even if I only played 30 seconds or whatever but for Isaac Hayden you know he knows time is short in football careers don't last forever and it's all about getting that first team opportunity and playing regularly first in football and fair play to him he, he you know he has gone he's, he's gone got his move and he's left Newcastle at a time when things are really really exciting
0: yeah he, he touched on it he said look at he's disappointed any player you know wants to be a part of this journey especially when you're in already at the ground level but he said while it was disappointing and you know he was a bit upset about it he was also you know predominantly excited because like you say the timing for him's right and his family and you know he said getting the response from fans when he announced his exit sort of you know reaffirmed the decision for him because he's leaving now his reputation's not tarnished he's leaving and as we say, you know it's a loan deal but it it looks like he's going you know for good but he's leaving at the right time yeah. for him
1: and the reaction as well reaffirmed that it was probably the right decision because no one was crying out saying oh why have you, why have you let him go yeah. They were saying yeah we can understand why you've gone why the club will let you go let you go but you'll be welcomed back with open arms every time you you come back
0: yeah we've we've touched on it before and we'll touch on it later you know the, the midfield already at Newcastle is so bloated without them even you know bringing anyone in this summer so it would have been a case probably Getting you know, starts here and then time on the bench and stuff like we've touched on with long staff and, and other players. So, as I say, it, it goes to his character that you know he just wants to play football and and he's happy to so well, not happy, but you know, he's he's ready to leave the journey at uh, you know the most exciting point, really.
1: Definitely, and you mentioned there. Uh the midfield just before we do that if you listen on the the podcast channel please remember to like and follow the podcast through your podcast provider totally free to do just means with every new episode we upload you will get a notification to say it's ready to download or listen to and the important bit if you can leave us a rating and review either on spotify or apple Um, and help us get the numbers up there. We really do appreciate that. Makes, or allows us to get the episode out to a much wider audience. We've broken through the target of 200 in the last week. Some really nice, positive comments. You know, even if they're a bit negative, as long as they're honest, we don't mind. We're all here for the feedback. So just, if you get the chance, pop down and do leave us a comment. It'll take you 30 seconds, and it really makes all the difference. Right, we're on to transfers, which I know a lot of you guys and girls will be waiting for. Um, Today, Newcastle night fans have woken up with links to James Ward-Prowse and Matthias Nunes from um, Sporting. Now, two quality players. I mean, James Ward-Prowse, he is one of my most favourite players in the Premier League. Uh, what he can do with the ball at his feet, you know, free kicks, corners, he's, he's unbelievable. And I think he will be destined for a bigger club than um, Southampton. Now, six months ago, Aaron, you know, if we'd been linked to James Ward-Prowse, which Newcastle were from certain uh, outlets you know, you'd be absolutely buzzing you think yeah there's a good chance here but now I look at the midfield and I, I look at it and think well it's not a priority that's not to say it couldn't be improved but if Newcastle have got like an, an 80 million pound budget let's you know let's say then the large part of that's gonna go on a striker and a centre-back you would imagine it's not gonna go on James Ward Prowse is gonna cost you the best part of 50 million
0: mm-hmm. yeah you know as as we've said the the priorities this summer are or elsewhere you know they want a striker they want a center back um and that midfield is already bloated you know with long long staff tying down that new deal um it sort of feels like if they do improve the centre midfield, which look they could by the end of the summer you know we we don't know where this team's going to be in a couple of months and Feels like this transfer window has been going on for months, and it's only been open a couple of days. So how quick things move, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they did buy a centre midfielder. But I think before that happens, they need a striker and they need a you know a, a top quality centre half. Um, but I mean, go especially James Ward-Prowse. He he would dramatically lift the standard of that midfield, um, which is already probably the the strongest area of the pitch. Walked into a lot of teams in the Premier League, English knows the league as you say though southampton are, don't want to sell especially to a sort of rival who's going to be next to them in the table so it would probably cost when you add on the newcastle tax as well you know you're talking 40 50 million for for a player who's you know approaching or is sort of you know nearing the end of his career maybe uh, w- because
1: also if they do out do go out and sign a centre midfield obviously lucas paquetta is another one who's been linked another one who's going to cost 40 $50, 60000000 perhaps. You look at it and you, you, who would drop out? Because we mentioned there Joe Linton's form, for me, he's a shoo-in to start in that, that position. Gamoresh is another one who's guaranteed to start in there. And then you look at it, well, you've got Sean Longstaff, you've got Joe Willick, John Joe Shelby. Now, Eddie Howe, from what he said, really, really seems to like John Joe Shelby. Now, for me, if I was the manager, he would be the one that would be dropped out if someone like Forrest came in with a bid for me, I would I would consider it if it was a decent amount of money, but from what you what you read in between lines, from what Eddie House says and his press conferences, and and also to, let's be fair, John Joe Shelby, the way he stepped up as well, I can't see him being moved on in the in the next year, and that then presents another element to well, okay, if you go and sign a James Ward Prowse or even someone the next level down, can you
0: really see John Joe Shelby dropping out? Shelby's such a difficult one because he divides opinion. You know, we've got you know, colleagues in our office who, you know, think he should go. We've got others who really rate him and the stats when he did play compared to when he didn't this season for Newcastle was remarkable, you know, Newcastle I think with him during that run from December to March. I think they didn't lose a game when he started. I think when he didn't play was when they sort of started to drop points. And I just think he's literally got nine lives. Under Benitez, Benitez wanted him gone, he survives. Bruce he was awful for it pretty much eighteen months, survives. Eddie Howe comes in, this take what happens, he gets sent off in the first game with the owners watching his sign, you think, right, he's gone. And he just raises his game again and he just somehow manages to stay in the team with usually good performances for a couple of weeks. Admittedly, the last couple of months he was fantastic. But it it goes back to what we said a lot on this podcast and it's about the levels that they want to go to. Shelby is fantastic for the the midterm, long term, he probably doesn't have a future but this is again why we're saying, do they need a centre midfielder this season? Fans in the comments will say, yes we do, we need a strengthen in all positions but I think we saw at the end of that season, Shelby, Jolent and Bruno Willick Longstaff was more than good enough as a five to rotate against, I mean look at that Arsenal game at the end of the season Longstaff ran the show if they can just find a bit of you know consistency there for them, if Willa can find that goal-scoring form that he had on his and you know initial loan deal, I think they're absolutely fine with them five midfielders. But it's so tempting, isn't it, when you've got Paquetta and all those big you know fancy names linked. I do agree with you though if Puss comes to shove and they get another you know top-class midfielder, and I think Shelby's the one of the three to drop out. Joelinton's been too good in that new role, and Bruno's obviously the first name on the team sheet. So it's a headache for her but it's a good one to have and it's one we haven't had in a long time
1: It's a positive dilemma and I've written a piece so wrong on Chronicle Live about what it says about the new owners as well, the fact we are sitting here saying the midfield isn't a priority because turn of the air it was, but then they've gone out and bought Bruno Bruno you know, one of the best midfielders in Europe and and he's been fantastic but equally the players like Willick, like Joe Linson uh, Shelby, and then, you know, Sean Longstaff towards the end of the season have also upped their game, so that's testament to, to the coach and staff and to the players themselves as well. Because, but, but, but more than that, like, the issue of the midfield has been a long-term problem. It's been like that left-back area, hasn't it? It's been a long-term issue where they've gone out and got loan deals or they've, they've, they've been linked to this and that or the managers have openly said, oh, I want to improve this, I like this player, but Mike Ash never went out and got that player. You know, Benitez wanted to sign Tom Kearney. Uh, uh, Steve Bruce thought he'd had uh, the, the now Leicester right. City uh, midfielder and it was just refreshing to see in January the owners look at the, the issue and go okay they need a centre midfielder of good quality who can run up and down the pitch you know can, can can pick a pass get stuck in and they went out and bought Bruno Guimaraes, and I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sign of things to come, these players are going to be these sorry these owners are going to be proactive rather than reactive and perhaps when like actually reacted to things, the damage really had already been done.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's why we've seen already a week in the transfer market that a centre-back has got to be their priority and a striker as well because these owners know that for all Callum Wilson is a fantastic striker, that first game of the season against Forest, he could be injured and it could be another three months out and we're relying on Chris Wood again. They've got to go out and get a striker this summer, which I think, which we know they are looking for, but also at the same time, for all Fabian Schär's lifters, game, and for all Dan Burns being a good addition, they made it clear in January that they needed you know a top-class centre back. They they went all out for Botman, they went all out for Carlos, and um, and eventually you know the sort of Newcastle tax did force them to retreat. But as you've touched on, these owners know that these are the priority areas that they need to strengthen, and that's what they're going to go out and do. The spine, the spine, that's, of the that's team, what they're trying to yeah. build in the
1: spine of the team. And you got Bruno Guimaraes there. Um, you've got Callum Wilson a fit there and then you know it'll be interesting to see about uh, Botman if he does come in and we will get on to botman in just a moment but there's a you know a bit of movements uh, movement in in the youth as well we've got um Charlie MacArthur who is one who's been linked Kilmarnock, a young lad um I mean you know we don't know how you know far this deal has maybe been been talked about you've also got Alex Murphy as well who's who's signed and um, from come over from Ireland it, it, Dan Ashworth has come in, there's a big emphasis on, on youth and we spoke last week about how he said that if Newcastle need a play in a certain position, going to the transfer window isn't necessarily the first option. So when we see links to like MacArthur and the signing of Murphy and you look at how Anderson's done as well, it's 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 a really exciting time, I think, to be a Newcastle United fan and potentially having a young start cheer on, you know, in that first team.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Eddie Howe himself touched on it in press conferences that, you know, he's really keen to you know, uh, promote more academy players throughout the first team whenever they can. And, we you know, we have seen at times that, you know, the likes of Lucas the Ball and players like that have made the bench. Elliot Arnson will get the preseason to sort of show what he can do before probably a loan deal out. Um, But you just have to look at what Dan Ashworth did at, at Brighton to see that he's always got an eye on the next young thing coming through. Tarek Lamptey I mean, to get him from Chelsea for two or three million was a steal they've got a lot of young players that they've brought in from abroad and they're loaned out straight away to aid their development. Um, And I think we've seen with the signing of Alex Murphy, who's, you know, came in from Ireland and was one of the highly rated players. We've now got the link in the last couple of days from The Telegraph that Charlie McArthur's, you know, a deal is nearly done for that. And I just want to read a couple of things about Charlie McArthur because I wrote a piece on him yesterday and admittedly, you know, he's 17 he's only played three times for Kilmarnock. I'm not going to pretend that I've watched him loads, but... A couple of things have stood out from what other people have said about him. So, this is Scotland under-17 boss Brian McGotland saying the other month, I felt Charlie MacArthur was incredible today. He should be proud of that performance. He's got a huge future ahead. Tommy Wright, who played for Newcastle, now coached him at Kilmarnock. The biggest compliment I can pay to Charlie is that the lads treat him like a 26-year-old. I don't want to stick labels on how good he is, but he will have a very good career. And Kilmarnock's captain said, Ewan Murray said I have no doubt that with the right support network around him and if, if he keeps his feet on the ground that he will have a massive future he's an unbelievable talent now in years gone by on Mike Ashley when on earth have we signed a player that was getting those sort of rave reviews at 17 it was never anything like this so it, it goes to show that you know any sort of young players that are getting brought in you know for all Santiago Munoz could be a fantastic player we sort of felt under Ashley was brought in for his name, didn't we? All mm. that, you know, we weren't sure about it. The type of young players that they're going to go out and get now, you know, are, are the absolute cream of the crop of their age groups. And I think this is what we're going to see more and more when, I, you know, when Ashworth sort of gets going.
1: Mm. Interesting as well. Peter Ramage was manager of the Nate Leans He's now been moved over to assistant loan coordinator, working, uh, for, as far as we know, alongside Shola Amiobi. And I spoke to Shola last week and. You know, he has his critics because some of the loan deals haven't worked and, you know, he did um, at certain points defend Mike Ashley. But I, I, I'm I'm intrigued, I think it'll be the right word, to see how Dan Ashworth can, can maybe mould Sholao Miobi into a, to a better loan manager. And when I spoke to Sam he was open and honest about learning from Ashworth. And the thing that really stood out was he was just excited. And I, I know... You know, it's easy to be excited when you're a fan. You know, that's what he is at heart. He stripped back everything. He's just like he's just like everyone else watching or listening. To this he's a Newcastle United fan, but he's just really excited to get started, to get these um, you know these youngsters developing and, and getting them out to, to to clubs to to help that development. And he's really excited about Elliot Anderson as well. And um, it was just it was just lovely to see someone at the club in a senior position being really excited about the future.
0: I know, I mean, when have we seen that in the last couple of years? Actual, you know, senior members of staff being excited about the future. And I mean, Shola was actually in the press box with us a couple of weeks ago and he was chatting to some, I think he was chatting to Mark Lawrence and I'm sort of half eavesdropping into his conversation and he was saying that, you know, the club, you know, the whole atmosphere has changed and, um, they're going to go into this new season thinking that you know top half is where they want to be. They don't want to be languishing down the bottom now. And I mean, as you've said, how long ago, how long has it been since we've had that sort of optimism? Um, you know, on Tyneside. So, yeah, it's great to see, and I think it will be interesting to see how he how he works with Dan Ashworth, um, who had a really really crucial role in Brighton's youth setup, and the aim was always. Get these young players in and sign them early, but don't just let them sort of fester in the youth teams. Let's get them a good loan deal. Let's get them a proactive move to sort of get the minutes at a, at a higher level. So I think if those two can work together, then we'll see a massive improvement in that department.
1: Definitely. I mean, you know, you work closely with David Weir. It's Brighton. David Weir is now his successor. So, but, you know, David Weir wouldn't have been an expert at sending youngsters out on loans. So it is a, a learning curve. And I think it's really, really important that they've got someone like Dan Ashworth who can help Shola and now. Peter Ramage, you know, just learn in these rules because it's, you know, it's, 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 it is, it's as someone's just said there in the comments, Kev, it is a learning game. And um, hopefully, they can have more success like they did with Kel Watts and Elliot Anderson and Mighty Longstaff out on loan. Three examples there of how how to do it right, getting regular game time and achieving success as well with their loan clubs. And fingers crossed, more of that can happen. A lot of people asking Aaron about Bottman
0: and Techier. What's your latest understanding on 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 the chase for both of them? Yeah, so obviously Botman, I mean, it feels like the saga that's never gonna end, doesn't it? I mean, we were we were discussing this morning when do you sort of call a line and and draw a line under it. From what we understand, you know, he is sort of waiting for Milan. Um and, you know, as I wrote a piece on yesterday, you sort of can't blame him in a sense. For all Newcastle United is an exciting project, um, who are gonna do very well in the next couple of years. You're talking about Serie A champions, Champions League football, you know, the home of Maldini, Nesta, all these fantastic centre-backs from years gone by. Um, You know, we do understand that Newcastle and Lille, you know, do have a feel that they're almost there on that feed. It's just up to the player now. And um, it all just depends on sort of Milan's takeover situation. You know, they're in a takeover progress of themselves. And that is sort of causing their delay their side, but it looks on that front that he does want to go there. which obviously is a shame, but look, these owners will know that this was a possibility and they'll have other options drawn up. We've already seen sort of things being sort of drip-fed to the media that sort of says that they're already looking at another target. So I wouldn't be surprised that they walk away from that one soon enough and sort of and look at another.
1: On on target. on that, and in, in general, with the season starting so early and the centre-back looking like it being a priority, a striker as well, how important is it that the owners know when, just to walk away, just to say, look, right, we've given you enough time. This offer has been on the table. We the season starts on August sixth. You know we need these we need these positions filled with quality. We haven't got time to wait around. How important is that they are they are ruthless in that sense where they're not going to be taken for mugs and they're not going to wait around forever.
0: Yeah, they've got to be. But I think we've already seen in the last six months that they are. You know, in January, you know they probably could have bought, got a deal over the line for Carlos. But they said, you know, we're not gonna be we're not gonna be taking for mugs on the transfer price and you know it was a similar thing with Botman where eventually they walked away and said, Look, we'll raise it in the summer and Dan Byrne was in like that. Um, you know, gone are the days where I think we're gonna be waiting on deadline day for, you know, is this deal gonna get over the line? I think um by that first game of the season, I think Howe will have his team in place and I think any late deals will be done if they have to be if an injury happens or if you know how things you know we've started the season and this deal you know we, we maybe need a bit of strength here. I think we'll go into August knowing the bulk of the squad and I think look what we're now middle of June, they've got six weeks. Like I say, I think they won't be pressured into paying this tax and I don't think they should be expected to and I think they'll say if you don't want to move to us, fine. If you want to sell us sell us this player for ten million more than you're gonna sell at Villa then that's fine. We'll walk away, and I think that's the right way to do it because we don't want to pay over the odds for a player because we're trying to rush deals through.
1: Yeah, and, w- and once you start paying over the odds, then it's very Every hard point. to get away from that, isn't it? So, mm. and we like see, we did see in January they weren't coming hell to ransom, and um, you know they were they were ruthless. And on Atakia picked up an injury, didn't he last week? Um, it's interesting because he, he is a very young player. And, and, you know, people speak very highly of him. And he, if he does arrive, it'll be for quite a substantial deal, even you know you, you count the add odds and what have you. But I, I just look at it, and I think if you need a player to really rival Callum Wilson, is he right now at this moment that player to do that?
0: No, I don't think he is. And look, me and you have, have talked about this on the podcast before that, this shouldn't be seen as their striker deal. This shouldn't be the man that's going to challenge Wilson for the number nine. For one, he doesn't even really play as a number nine. You know, he plays off the left. Um, He's 19, he's very raw. He's only had one season um, at the top flight in France, and that was sort of marred by injuries. You know, he's had three different hamstring problems since February. Instantly, that alone puts you off a little bit. His age, the fact that, you know, he's coming to a new league at at an age where, we don't really know, you know, how much potentially he's going to hit. So, look, I think it's an exciting deal if it can get it done. The club medical team will have, will be well aware of this hamstring issue. Um, but I think, as we've said before, it, it needs to be a ticket and a number nine, or an proven number nine at that. I don't think, you know, you can rely on him. For all, it's going to be an exciting deal. I don't think that can be the only attacking uh, option that they bring in this summer.
1: Kev, okay, there says he looks very promising but needs but we need someone uh proven to score goals which is which is right because you want someone to come in and and push Callum Wilson that's not going to be an easy task you know there's players linked every other day but again the price tags are unbelievable and and I mean you saw how much they paid for for Chris Wood with a with a with a, a decent Premier League record but not a not a 25 million pound kind of record you would argue
0: mm-hmm. and I think that's why we've seen in recent weeks the likes of Calvert-Lewin are going to be linked in Ivan Toney but it goes back to the War Prowse and Southampton issue. They don't want to sell castle, you know. Tony, I think they're being priced at fifty million. I mean, look, he's a fantastic player, and and he's, he's done very well for Brentford since they came up. But I don't think he's the man to I don't think he walks in that team over a fit Callum Wilson. So it's it's as we've touched on before. You know, it's about finding that levels and when they bring in this number nine, it needs to be someone that you think, yeah, look, he can not take it off Wilson. Um, or if Wilson's not fit, we know he's going to hit the ground running and not have that sort of Chris Wood three-month spell where he's sort of out of form. So it's it's a very difficult um, situation as some matter. I don't envy the owners having to do it with, obviously, the Newcastle tax and trying to find that perfect number nine that they're, that they're looking for. But I think it's crucial as, like we say, Wilson, you know, for how good he is, he's just not reliable enough fitness-wise. So it, it's crucial that they get it right
1: it is indeed it's going to be an interesting summer and we'll keep you with date on ChronicleLive.co.uk. we have a a daily transfer blog where we get all the rumors in there we get all the analysis analysis and opinion and news as well from our writers including aaron lee rydaq here and kelly so do head over and 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 put that in bookmark that into your browser and, and keep that open over the next couple of months just want to finish on mike ashley and derby county now uh derby county i mean i feel for their fans they've been through the ring haven't they? i mean not only getting relegated but everything with administration and the, 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 so many false dawns of new owners and unfortunately recently they've had yet another one now mike Ashley has made no secret you know he's interested uh for whatever reason the administrators don't uh or haven't in, in the past picked him as their preferred bidder i, I when this was initially floated, oh, well, many, many months ago, I've got a Derby County, uh, one of my good mates is a Derby County fan, and, um, you know, when Newcastle getting taken over and everything, look promising, he's down in the dumps with his, worried about his club. And he asked about Mike Ashley many months ago, and I said, well, if you want an owner who does the bare minimum, doesn't have any ambitions, doesn't have any, you know, desire to take the club further than just surviving, Mike Ashley's your man, but... Now I'm thinking about it and looking at the situation Derby County are in, so close to the new season, you know, a real lack of funds, issues over the stadium. I, I, I do think Mike Ashley wouldn't actually be the worst case scenario for Derby County. You know he's got the funds, and you know he will do enough to make sure you survive and that will probably work in, in League One to get them up to the championship
0: well I think that's the key point there is that he's got the funds and you know Derby have had two or three sort of false stones where they thought right this is it and we're getting taken over and at the final stage you know these owners from abroad all of a sudden don't have the funds and you're thinking well you know how are they getting this far in the takeover process you know people have you know had a go at the Premier League going an director's test but some of the EFL takeovers in the past couple of years have been scandalous so if it's the choice between administration or Mike Ashley you're picking Mike Ashley but the caveat is that look he will he will probably pump money initially or he'll give them a loan initially to make them you know uh, to stay in business and look they could easily come back up from League One Rooney's done a fantastic job it looks like you'll stay but as a long term solution you would fear for the club I mean you just have to look at not even the money he puts in but just the murkiness around himself. you know the fact that it's jobs for the boys the fact he'll never come out and speak to you unless you know it suits him you know he gives one one interview every two years but look Derby are in a crisis as you say the season's fast approach, and we don't want to see another club go out especially not a club like Derby with all that history so Derby need now an owner who's got the funds Mike actually can do that and in the short term it probably wouldn't be um, the worst thing but I never thought I'd be saying this, you know. I never thought I'd be championing him to, to take over another club. But you
1: know, if he learns, if he's learned from the previous mistakes, which well, I'm not <laughs> sure he, he maybe has done, he puts the right people in charge. You know, you don't have to spend loads and loads of money. You just need to have a bit of ambition and desire to better the, the club. Where Derby are now, I mean, becoming a mid-table regular championship club, they'll snap your hands off for that. Mike I Ashley, I think, could you know set that up, of course. Newcastle fans listening to this, watching this, will say, "Well, we, what are you talking about? We know what the last seventeen years have been like." But I do think that was actually one of the biggest regrets as well. Newcastle could have been a, an established Premier League side, top six side, had Mike Ashley realised the potential—not only the club, but of what he had as well. You know, he, the funds were there; yeah, the he just fund, chose not to.
0: Yeah, the funds were always there. The funds weren't in wallpaper, as he liked to say, you know, when he was defending himself, but. Look, it was. Uh, we all know at Newcastle. It was fourteen years wasted, and you know he inherited such a fantastic club, and by the end of it, it was it was a shell of, a, of its former self. Um, Derby are obviously at the opposite end of the spectrum, and I'm not saying that you know Derby are at the lower step now, and Mike Ashley's going to all of a sudden turn them into this amazing football club again. I don't think he, he. I don't think he's in it for that. I think he's in it for the money and the money only, as we've seen with some of his sort of high street purchases. Um, and even though the relegation at Newcastle castle were his mistakes and he had to own them they got straight back up straight away because he had to put that money in when it mattered so yeah look if it, it as i've said if it's a choice between going bust and actually you know trying to keep them afloat then you've got to give it a go and and look y- you never know you might learn from his mistakes but i'm not holding my <laughs> I'm not holding my breath on that one
1: an interesting one to follow well, guys, that is the end of the Everything Is Black and White podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Please remember to like and follow the podcast from wherever you are watching or listening to. And head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news.